Um, I am Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown. And uh, I get to teach on Zephaniah. Zephaniah. Got to be honest, I've never preached from Zephaniah before. It's not a normal book that you volunteer to preach out of. Alex came to you one day. He's like, hey, you're preaching Zephaniah. And I was like, oh, no, no. Uh, I, was, uh, I was really excited to preach out of this book. Um, this book focuses a lot on misconceptions and lies that we tend to believe in ourselves. And, uh, you know, it's so easy to believe in a lie, you know, to think it's truth. For example, uh, I have three kids, Avery, Ellie, and Zeke, and uh, I just sh- uh, sh- trimmed my face. Looks good. Alex, that looks good. So uh, that's, that's, that's what I needed, you know. Um, and uh, Avery, she, I walked out, and Avery was like, you trimmed your face. You look so good. And I was just like, oh, thanks, Avery. I, I need that. I was kind of self-doubting myself, you know, if Avery came and uh, so I look good. And then so I sat on the couch, and um, Ellie walks up to me, and it's like, she pats my belly. It's like, you need to do some push-ups, you know? <laughs> and all of a sudden, my, uh, my self-confidence was shattered. And, uh, and, and I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to believe that. I'm going to believe everything is great. Um, another example of some lies that we maybe can tend to believe is... Uh, there was one year, and uh, just to let you know, I am an amazing driver, you know, amazing driver. Um, no one ever fears for their life when I'm driving. <laughs> um, uh, when I was a youth pastor, you know, there might have been a time where driving through the Sierra Nevadas and we kind of spin out of control. But other than that, you know, I turned back and was like, do not tell your parents. <laughs> uh, other than that, you know, that I've... Uh, you know, flawless track record. But there was one year where I got three speeding tickets in the same year. And again, not my fault. Um, and so one, um, one time, I, I was driving to work, you know, I, I was, you know, maybe 5, 10, 15 miles over the speed limit in, in the city. It was on the highway. I was driving through the city. And uh, it was going, and I, I look in the distance, and I see some, like, uh, motorcycles, and I see two guys off the motorcycles, and I'm in the van, and so first of all, you don't pull over a van, you know, <laughs> like, why would you give a van a ticket, and so I'm in the van, and I'm going, and he walks in the middle of the road, points at me, and is like, get over, get over, and I'm driving, I'm like, I didn't even know you could do that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I think he's breaking the law, <laughs> like, you can't give a ticket, like, so I pull over, and he's like, do you know what you're doing, and I was like, oh, I was going a little too fast. He was like, you were going, you know, 20 miles over. And I was like, oh, okay, my bad, you know, won't do it again. And then he walks over, gives me a ticket. And I'm like, oh, Sam's going to kill me, you know? And so Sam's a very gracious, loving person. She's like, oh, you know, we've all been there. But of course, I'm still a good driver. Um, a couple weeks, maybe a few months later, I am driving down a hill. And you know, like when you go down a hill, it kind of picks up momentum, you know, and it makes you go faster, and that's what happened, it made me go faster, this hill, and there was a cop waiting for me down at the hill, and he pulls me, and once I saw him, I'm like, oh, like, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a conversation, probably, and uh, he pulls me over, and he's like, do you know what you're doing, and I was like, oh, I was speeding, uh, but it was the hill, you know, that 
caused me to go faster. And he was like, okay. And uh, he gives me a ticket. And so I get home, and I'm like, oh, I got another ticket. And she's, Sam, again, gracious. Oh, you know, it's okay. Uh, it's fine. And then, uh, like, a week later, <laughs> I'm driving in the same area, and I get pulled over. It's the same guy who just pulled me over. And I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? And the first thing I think of is, Sam is really going to kill me. <laughs> That's three tickets in one year. And so he gives me a ticket. And, and when he sees me, I'm like, oh, he's going to recognize me, you know, because he just saw me. He did not recognize me, you know. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, I was hoping that would be a way out. And uh, he gives me a ticket. And uh, I get a letter in the mail. And by that point, I'm like, oh, I'm still good. Those are cops walking the middle road, points me out to Hill. Um, the other one might have been my fault. But... <laughs> Uh, I'm a still a good driver. I get a ticket or a letter in the mail from, uh, I don't know, like the government. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> and, uh, and it said, if you get one more ticket, th like within 72 months, we will take your license away. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, ugh, I need to drive so much better in this city um, or there will be some major consequences. You know, I say all that to say that was a lie that I was believing, that I was a safe driver. And I might still believe that lie today. You can ask Rachel. I was driving, and, she's, and Sam was like, you're kind of being jerky in the car. And I'm like, I'm being aggressive, you know? It's the difference. Um, but in our life, we tend to believe things that maybe aren't true. You know, we, we, if there's something about us or there's something that we need to give up, maybe an idol or a sin thing that's in our life. And we're like, man, I don't struggle with that. Or, man, like, I, I, I move past that. But if we're not careful, we can lie about, to ourselves about those very things. So Zephaniah tackles this very same thing head on in this very short book. It's three chapters. Uh, Zephaniah meets hidden by God. When I first read that, I was like, oh, man, like, like, no, like, he's hidden? Like, that doesn't sound very good. But then I looked into it. It's basically a symbolic of God's protection. He's hiding us, Zephaniah, away from evil things. He's protecting Zephaniah. Symbol symbolic of God's protection. Zephaniah was the great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah. This book was written the final decades of the southern kingdom, which you can find in 2 Kings chapter 22 through uh, 23. The northern kingdom was Samaria. The southern kingdom was Judah. King, uh, during that time, King Josiah wanted to bring change to the land by removing the idols. If you uh, are familiar with the Bible, there's this king. He wanted to remove the idols that were in Israel. And uh, he wanted to basically call the nation to worship God alone. But by that point, Israel was too far, far gone. And King Josiah's pride led him to die a tragic death on the battlefield, which is found in 2 Chronicles 35 Verses 20 through 25. God revealed all this stuff to Zephaniah, the, the downfall of Israel and this army that would overtake Israel. The army is Babylon, as we find in other books of the Bible. There's three main parts of Zephaniah. The first one is judgment on Jerusalem, Israel. The second is judgment on other nations and then Jerusalem again. And the third one is hope for the nations and Jerusalem. Let's focus on part number one, judgment on Jerusalem. Zephaniah chapter one, verses two through three, it says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. 
I will sweep away every man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Zephaniah chapter 1, 2, 3. Man, that is super encouraging. <laughs> when I read, that's like chapter 1, and I'm like, oh. Um, I remember when I was in a you know, youth camp, and the, the speaker came up and was like, if you're ever down, just you know, open your Bible and point to a verse and God will reveal something to you. And I feel like every time I did that, it would be like those types of verses, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm not to say that, that God doesn't work like that. He, you know, he, he's an amazing God. He can, but you know, that's not uh, that type of, you know, scripture or, or an encouraging word that you want to read when maybe you're down or you're going through stuff. But that's not the point of this, this book. This, the, the, the point of this book in this, this part right here is when people turn from God, destruction and bad things can happen. When we don't put God first and we put other things first, then destruction will come. See, Zephaniah was a man who loved Jerusalem. He uh, was the great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah. He, wa- he probably wanted to see the best in his nation, but he loved and was committed to God first, Right? He was committed to God first. And how we know is because he wrote this difficult letter to the nation of Israel. The leaders and the people of Israel were so stuck in idol worship, that, and they were focused on this because the other nations around them were worshiping multiple gods. So Israel at this point, they were looking at other nations, and they were saying, what are they doing? I want to follow the other nations. And Zephaniah is saying, no, 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 focus on God alone. Don't worry about what's happening around you. Keep your eyes on him. A very familiar uh, story in um, the New Testament. Remember when Jesus calls Peter out of the water, you know, and he says, hey, walk to me. And then he says, but don't look to the left or the right. Keep your eyes on me. And why did Peter sink? It's because he took his eyes off God. He, he noticed the things around, the, the, the crazy things in life, the waves, the sea. And God was trying to protect Israel by saying, hey, don't focus to the left or to the right. Focus on me because I will deliver you. I will bring you what's good and what's pure in your life. Focus on me. You see, maybe there is no evil intent, but idols in your life maybe are your plans over God's, right? You're not, you don't have this, self, like this, this conscious thought of, man, I'm going to put this little statue in my room and I'm going to worship this thing. But maybe it's like, hey, I want to try my way first. I want to do my plan first. And then if it fails, I'll follow God's plan. Right? It, it's, it's kind of a fallback. And you keep telling God, stop, stop, please. I'm doing something, God. I'm doing something. I'm, I, I want to focus on what's best for me. But God is saying, no, no, I know what's best for you. I have a perfect plan that's going to change the world and can change those around you if you just trust in me. Look at other leaders or people in position of power. When they see wrong and don't bring that to light, often that position of power and status and comfort silences our convictions. So one thing that Zephaniah is doing, God reveals this, this, this book to him, say, hey, call out the nation of Israel, call out the city of Jerusalem, tell them what they're doing wrong, tell them that they're looking at other aisles, they're putting other things first. And there were other leaders, there were kings in Israel 
that should have called their people out to the holy things that God wanted them to do, to worship God alone. But too often when there's comfort and when there's status or when there's position of power, if we're not careful, that can silence our convictions. I mean, I'm the first one when, when maybe something's going wrong in my life, I want it to appear that things are going better, right? I, I want it to, to seem like I have everything under control, that I don't want to bring people in and say, man, I'm struggling with this, or I don't know what to do here. God, I need you. But when I have status or people to lead or people looking up to me, if I'm not careful, I can put myself in my plans above God's. So I, I want you to think about that. What are you maybe hiding that you need to bring to light? And that might not be a sin. That might just be a struggle that you're going through or, or something that has challenged you when you read scripture. There are people in this church that would love to have a conversation and say, hey, I know you're struggling maybe with this passage in scripture, or you don't understand what's happened in your life, but we love you. And maybe as the pastor, I don't even understand, but I'm here just to wrap my arms around you and say, hey, I'm here with you. There's people in this church that want to do that. So don't let those areas of maybe pride or shame be hidden. Reveal that. Reveal that to people. And I mean, hopefully you're revealing to God. Zephaniah in this, in chapter one, verses two, three, he is describing a reversal of Genesis one, a reverse creation, and that's destruction. If we go to Genesis chapter one, I'm not gonna read all of the creation story, but it says, and God said, let there be light. There was light, and God saw the light was good, and he separated light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkest night, and there was evening and there was morning on the first day. Man, that sounds great. The, when God is working, when he is creating, when he is bringing things to life, amazing things happen. But what Zephaniah is pointing out, that when you don't follow God, when you put other things in front of you, when you're selfish, when you're prideful, it is a reverse creation. Life will not come out of that. Bad things might happen, but... We just need to keep our eyes on God and focus on him. Zephaniah through poetry is describing life for Jerusalem when they are separated from God. Zephaniah is foretelling what will happen to Jerusalem because they choose not to follow. He describes an apocalyptic imagery of an army taking them over. He's saying, hey, if you don't turn from the other things in your life, an army will come and take you out. He will take you out. In similar fashion, when God is not the main priority in our life, destruction will follow. We can fake it for so long, we need to get rid of the idols in our life or something will overtake us. So I want you to think about that right now. What is maybe something that is main priority over God in your life? We all probably have something, if we're honest. Maybe it's, you know, work or it's status, power, position. Maybe it's a relationship that you're part of. What is something that is before God? Zephaniah never mentions what army God will use to take out the city. 
We know from other books in the Bible that it was Babylon. The reason why he leaves the name out is because he wants to highlight God's role in letting the city rise and fall. What's so important to point out is God is not the, you know, the bringer of death and construction. He, he doesn't want, you know, bad things to happen to you. I, I want this to, you to realize that. You know, sin is not from God, right? Violence is not from God. He is not the author of evil or the punisher of wrongdoing. Rather, he allows the consequences of our wrongdoing to affect us. When we sow violence and manipulation, we will reap the same. God, as a loving father, allows us the dignity of experiencing the weight of our actions. The selfish actions of other cause the pain and the destruction to a nation. Right? Not everyone in Israel, in the city of Jerusalem, was evil. There were people who probably loved God, but because the selfish actions and the choices of violence from leaders in Israel caused and it made a destruction come to the whole city. So I want you to realize sin or the thing that's in your life that you need to give to God, that can affect others, right? It will affect others. I, I think of, you know, the foster care system. When we were going through that with uh, Ezekiel, the selfish action of someone affected a son. It affects a daughter. It affects the innocence of other people. And so when we're so caught up in ourself, that's when we become blinded by those selfish outcomes and that destruction that will come to others around you. Maybe this has happened to you. The sin of another has hurt you. I, I just want you to remember God is there for you, right? We're talking about destruction and when bad things happen, when God's not main priority in your life. But I am, you know, I know that that might have happened to you. So I don't want to go over that and, and, you know, say, hey, you know, suck it up, deal with it. No, no. God wants to sit in your pain. God sees you and loves you, and he wants to restore you, and he wants to protect you. Remember Zephaniah names, it means protection. That's God's heart. It's not to, you know, leave you alone and abandoned. It's to protect you like a loving father. So don't forget God's nature, right? His nature is one of love, and he wants what's best for you. In Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Even though there is chaos and destruction and death around, be committed to God. He will never leave you or abandon you. God is reminding that when you put God first, when there is chaos or confusion or other people are telling you, hey, you need to do it this way, when you're committed to God, when you put him first, there will be a protection that comes around you. He wants what's best for his people. Second part, judgment on other nations in Israel again. 
For Gaza shall be deserted, and Eshkelon shall be in desolation. Ashdod's people shall be driven out at noon, and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to you, inhabitants of the seacoast, you nation of Sherethites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan land of the Philistines. I will destroy you and you, you until, until no inhabitant is left. Zephaniah then calls out the other nations around Jerusalem for their violence, injustice, and sin against God. He then predicts the fall of these nations by the same army. So God's saying, hey, uh, Babylon will come, take over Israel, destroy them, and then Babylon will also destroy the nations around you that you're looking up to. So when we look at other things that are not God, that God's not first, that will fade away, but God remains the same. He will be there when, all, when nations fall and when they fade away. The nations around Israel were committed to idolatry, child sacrifice, and unjust killings. Remember, there is only one way to life, and that is following God alone. There are no other gods. There is no other way. God is the only way to life and salvation. And that's kind of hard to hear sometimes, right? Because the world that we live in, it's global. There's different ideas. There's different opinions. But at the end of the day, there is only one way to life, and it is the way through Jesus. He brings life in darkness. This is another important item to discuss, and it was because the nations around them were into child sacrifice, and they were into unjust killing. Remember, God hates injustice. God doesn't like violence, and killing the innocent in the womb is always wrong. God loves life, and he, lo and he sees that at the very beginning. And the nations were around that, were into that, and Israel was becoming attracted to that, letting that in. Child sacrifice, innocent killings, injustice against your brother and neighbor. The way of Jesus is against violence. Remember that. Jesus is a peaceful, loving father. He is against violence. I'm reminded in James chapter 1, verses 27, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James reminded that, hey, there is those who are broken, those who are hurting, the orphans, the widows, they need your love. They need you to love on them. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 8. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise upon to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble the kingdoms, to pour out upon my indignation all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy on earth shall be consumed. This is a shocking and humbling section. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 8. Because when I read this, I was like, man, he is still talking about the other nations around Israel. He's still focused on them. But no, God is actually calling out the city of Jerusalem again. The leaders and the prophets and priests of Israel were so corrupt and violent, so estranged from their God, that he doesn't, God doesn't even recognize the people of Israel, who he's called to be like him. 
He, he shifts, and it's in, very, it's in similar writing style that he's calling out the nation Israel because he's trying to make a point. When you don't put God first, you will then start looking like the very evil that God hates, the very thing that God doesn't want to happen. God has called us to be different than those around us, to be against violence, to love our neighbor, to put others first, to be selfless. Please let this not be a picture of us in our little worlds outside this building. Let our love for God match our character in actions, in our home, in our neighborhood, in our place of work. How you are everywhere, does it reflect the loving nature of our God? Does it put him first before everything else? How do you treat your coworkers? Um, how do you treat those who you get mad at, you know, who, who make you upset. You're like, oh, I don't, I want to not love you right now. I don't want to be nice. That's, it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. So, and don't, and I don't have that, you know, all, all the time figured out. It's, it's hard to love others when they are not treating you like that as well. the third part of this book, Hope for the Nations and Jerusalem. This is where it gets lighter, right? Zephaniah is bringing destruction, pain, death. I'm so happy that there is hope <laughs> in restoration it, um, because that would be super depressing, you know? Uh, if, if, if that was the case and, and Alex was like, hey, you need to preach out of this book, I'd be like, I don't know, <laughs> you know? But God always brings life. He always brings love. He always brings restoration. So some of those things that I hinted at in this message, that doesn't disqualify you, disqualify you from God's love. I want you to know that. The sin, the, the worst sin that you could have committed against someone else, it doesn't disqualify you from the love and restoration that God has for you. He still wants you. He still chases after you. He still wants you to, uh, to come back to him like a loving father. He will run to you like the prodigal son. When he was far out, God, the father saw him and ran to him because there was love. That's the heart and character of our God. That even while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 17 through 20, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will uh, quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. He will gather those of you in mourn of the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will change their shame into praise. Maybe someone in that here needs to hear that. He will turn your shame into joy and praise. Something that you're struggling with, something that you need to give to God, that's what he wants to do in your life. At that time, I will bring you in, and at that time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all peoples on the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. See, God transforms 
the nation into a united family. This is a fulfillment of the God's promise to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, 15, and 17, that God would find a way to bless the nations. God restores the outcast, the broken. He restores those who are committed to him. Today, even though you feel alone and abandoned, this book points to a God who sees you and loves you. He wants what's best for you. He wants you to turn away from the struggle and sin and the idols around you. Maybe it's your plans. Turn away from those and follow his. Follow him. Zephaniah contains very intense images of God's correction and love. I don't really like to talk about that, if I'm honest. Like when I'm hanging out with people, I tend to just want to love people. <laughs> not call, you know, because not tell people, hey, I, I see this area in your life, and I want to challenge you with this because I love you, right? But that can be uncomfortable, right? It can be awkward because no one likes to hear about correction, about an area where I need to improve on. No one likes to hear about that. But if we're honest, we need that. We need someone to take us to coffee, love on us, buy your drink, say, hey, I see this air in your life, and I'm calling you out on it in love. And, and even though you struggle with that, I'm still going to be your friend. I'm not going to turn away from you because God, he won't. He won't. He brings this correction to restore in order to create a world where everyone can flourish in safety and peace because of his love. What does Zephaniah point to? Oh, right? This is the Old Testament. Jesus hasn't come yet. But Zephaniah points to Jesus. Right? Everything calls out and points to Jesus in Scripture. Hey, there's a Savior coming. He will restore you. He will bring you life. You don't have to sacrifice the sheep anymore, the lamb. Thank God. <laughs> he will be the ultimate sacrifice for you. He's pointing to Jesus. Jesus embodied the restoration that God brought to this world through correction and love. When I'm reading the New Testament, Jesus calls out those disciples all the time, right? He says, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. Peter, don't cut ears off. Don't do that. That's messed up. There's constant correction, but it's with love that Jesus brings to his disciples. We often reject this restoration work because it does not match our timing. Society standards, and plainly, the world tells us we don't need restoration. That God doesn't need to save us because we are perfect the way we are. Haven't you heard that? Don't change. You're perfect. Don't be, be who you, be you, you know. Be you. And there's, I know, I want you to be you. Like, don't, don't be different around me. But if there's some sin and some things in your life, don't be you, you know. Change. Give that to God. That God doesn't need to save us because we are perfect the way we are. That lie reflects the first sin in the garden. Remember the snake tempts Adam and Eve by saying, you, remember, history lesson, 
He said, don't eat this one fruit. <laughs> and the, the serpent comes and says, hey, you won't die by eating that fruit. You will not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So the serpent way back in the garden is trying to say, lie to us and say, hey, you will be like God. And if we're honest with ourselves, when we're stuck in our sin or we're stuck in something that's holding us back or we're putting that before God, it's because we want to be like little gods ourselves. That we don't want God to be the all authority position of power that we believe our way is the best way. And that sin has, was the very first sin and it still continues today. That we don't need to change, that we're perfect the way we are, that we can be like gods. Um, I, I follow this podcast. Sam Weaver actually, uh, I think she, yeah, she, she uh, showed it to me. It's called um, Coffee Sometimes with Valor Coffee. Great podcast if you're uh, going to start a coffee shop, you know, or if you just want life lessons, you know. Uh, and they talk about hiring processes. So uh, because they're a coffee shop, they hire people, right? And uh, one time, uh, the, these three guys who own this coffee shop, they said something very interesting. They said, we, we uh, go through hiring processes all the time with people, and we tend to hire people who maybe don't have it all figured out. They might not be coffee pros or experts, but one thing that always sticks out is their willingness to learn and change. For us to train them and to show them a better way. When I heard that, I was like, oh, man, that's kind of hard because a lot of times I think my way is the best way. I don't want to be humbled or, or follow someone else's way. They should just follow me. But that, that stuck to me because I'm like, man, am I flexible enough and willing to change and basically put my pride and humble myself and know that there's probably a better way out there? that I need to be trained by others and ultimately I need to be a, an apprentice of Jesus and he needs to focus in, I, on my life and change the things that I don't want to give up. They made this joke, you know, the, uh, that um, they, they would ask people, what's your biggest weakness? You know, what, what, what uh, have, have you heard that before when you're in a hiring process? Like what, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And uh, you know, the, the classic one is, you know, I just care too much, you know. Um, I just work too hard. <laughs> but I think we need to challenge ourselves in the area and know our weaknesses, right? Uh, every time I've been through a hiring process, I know that question's coming. And so I'm like, man, I want a real weakness, you know, but not enough to not get hired, you know. So, like, you can't be like, yeah, sometimes I just yell at people, <laughs> you know. There, there needs to be, you know, but, but let that challenge you and recognize your weaknesses. Because when you recognize your weaknesses, you can bring those before God and other people that love you, and that could be a challenge of area of growth in your life. We are flawed, just so you know. <laughs> we need correction. We need love. 
and we need restoration. Zephaniah shows us that when we are selfish, chasing our own desires, ignoring God, destruction comes. But there is hope, love, and restoration through the work of Jesus on the cross. Remember, I already said this verse, but it's so powerful. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8. If you struggle with something or there's a sin that you can't give up, man, just read that verse over and over again and hopefully it'll become a little easier. That don't let that shame keep things hidden. Let it come out because while you were sinning, Christ died for us. If I can have the team come up. So are you living separated from God? This whole first part of the book is Zephaniah calling out people who are separating themselves from God through idol worship, injustice, violence, child sacrifice. There's a separation because that's not what God intended for our lives. There's a separation. We tell our kids all the time when when you when maybe you're not honest or when there or, or um, you do something that you're not supposed to do, there is a separation in loss of trust, right? Every time we uh, have a conversation with kids, we'll, uh, we'll make a little, like, is this going to, is your response going to have cause separation and mistrust in us? We still love you, but what you say can do that. Are you separated from God? Does, and another thing is, does God recognize you? I know a lot of people call themselves followers of Christ, disciples of him, apprentices of Jesus, but does God recognize you? Are you so like the neighbors around you who are living in injustice, in sin, in destruction, that God sees you and says, man, you say that you know me, but I don't even know who you are because you're not reflecting the love that I want you to have for others. Does God recognize you? Accept his correction, his love and his restoration, make disciples. I feel like, you know, destruction, love, correction, it always leads to the commission that when we accept the restoration and love of Christ, we can't hold that in. We have to let that out and be shared to others. The very last command that Jesus gave to his disciples, it says, go, therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that have commanded. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Remember, this book points to Jesus. It points to the commands of Jesus. Zephaniah, the great, great grandson of a king who loved Jerusalem and its people, writes about the coming correction and destruction from God, but shows the hope of God's love and restoration. How do I know Zephaniah loved those around him? It's because he wrote it in this book to be shared to others. This is what happens when you don't follow God, but when you do, there's restoration, love, let's share that to others. Zephaniah demonstrated the very commission that Jesus brings to later in, you know, when, he, when he's leaving to heaven, he demonstrates that in his book. He calls people out, he loves on people. He said, I love you, I want what's the best for you. I want you to know God, and I want that to be told to others. Let that be a challenge to us. 
let us reveal this love to our family, friends, and world. Let it not be silent. Let us not be people who are, you know, having a good time, which I want you to have a good time, but let's show the love of Christ and have those deep conversations with others. There does need to be an urgency in our life to share the gospel. And Zephaniah showed that. He showed that, that there needs to be an urgency of the lost, the hurting, the the widows, the orphans, the people who are, uh, you know, brought injustice. We need to love them and show the love of Christ. So if you can bow your heads and close your eyes, I have three challenges for you this week to think and reflect on. The first one, stop putting yourself before God. Maybe there's an area in your life that you've been fighting and, 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 and trying to make happen. Give it to God. Follow his plan. And that's not easy. That's hard. It's difficult. It will be a challenge. You might fail the first time. But give it to God. Be like, God, I can't do this on my own. God, I need you. God, I need you to deliver me out of this way. I need you to show me what I need to do. I want to put you first, God. Second, accept God's love and correction. We all deal with sin. We all have something that we struggle with that we need to let go of the selfish desire, lust, anger, give it to God. Say, God, I don't want to hold on to this anymore. I don't want it in secret. Tell someone that you love and trust. This is something that I'm dealing with. Help me, call me out when I'm stuck in it. Accept God's love and correction. And the third challenge, love others. Get to know your neighbor. Invite people into your home. Don't just know the love and the, the correction and love that God has for you. Show that to others. Invite people over for dinner. Share the gospel. Don't just have a good time. Tell them about the love of Jesus. Tell them about the, the very thing that changed and impacted your life. Don't let that be silence. Too often, we just, we don't want to be weird. We don't want to be uncomfortable. I believe the change that needs to happen in your neighborhood, the city, it will only happen because of the shared love of the gospel, the shared love of the good news of Jesus. It won't happy, happen because you do cool things. It won't happen because you have a nice, you know, yard. It won't happen because you're cool. It will only happen when you share what Jesus did for your life. And you're not a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Love others. Know your literal neighbor. When I ask you, who's your neighbor? Be like, it's Mark and Tiffany. I love them and I hang out with them. Love others. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your love and correction. Even though it's challenging, even though I don't like to hear it, I know I need to. And I know I need to share that to others. Give me the boldness, the strength, the courage to love on my neighbor. 
to share the good news of Jesus to my friends, to my community, to people at work. Help me, Lord. In Jesus' name. listening to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast. To find out more or to join a church gathering, check out our website at midtownkc.church.